Welcome to Behind the Axle. This is a podcast that will take a look at what is going on in the world of wheelchair rugby. We will take a look at the topics and issues that are of concern to the players, coaches, staffs, referees, and classifiers of our league from coast to coast. We hope that you will join me, Mike Klinowski, Dave Mengen, and Hall of Famer Chris Cook as we discuss what is going on in our great sport today. So this week on Behind the Axle, we'll be talking about the newly revamped postseason structure. We will look at the creation of the Oscar Mike Militia Rugby Squad. We'll talk about contact before the whistle and how getting rid of the rule has changed the sport. Finally, we'll talk about worlds and we'll be talking with our special guest, Joe Delagray from Team USA about it. So, guys, let's start talking about postseason. So, the way postseason is going to be uh, structured from now on there's going to be 24 teams selected by the competition committee at the end of the season. Top eight move on automatically. Then the next 16 will battle it out in two tournaments. The top four from each of those tournaments will make it to nationals. So, Dave, tell us more about the voting for uh, top 24 teams. Who does the voting? How does it happen? What's the story? So the competition committee is made up of all the racks, me, and the, the competition committee chair. So at the end of the season and throughout the season, we will get everyone's take on where the teams are and kind of BCS that up so that we kind of come up with an average and figure out who fits where. And at the end of the season, obviously, we're going to pick eight teams that get a free ride to nationals, and they'll be D1. And the remaining teams, well, they'll likely be D1. It's not really structured that way but they'll probably end up being D1. And then the, uh, the remaining teams will be picked to compete in San Francisco and in Washington, D.C. this year. Awesome. So why wouldn't you have the full league vote? How come we have the racks and the competition committee doing this? That's the way our Constitution is written, first of all. <clears throat> and secondly, uh, you know, if you, it's hard enough to get a set of eight racks, and even me, who have seen enough teams to determine who's better than who. And if you start watering that down by taking guys who never play outside their area or never play teams better or worse than them, then you're going to get really mixed results. So Dave, do, is it the job of each rack to submit a, a list of seeds from their Division, is that how it works to begin with? No. Uh, well, sometimes it's been done in the past that somebody puts out a list and then everyone gives their opinions. But I feel like that biases everyone toward the original list. And a lot of times all they have to say is something about uh, a team or two that they are familiar with or their own team. So we're going to go back to the old way where each person submits their own list of 30 teams in order. And obviously, you know, people are going to be very different there. But if you average those out, uh, we'll come up with something that works. And if there are um, 
concerns on the bubble, we'll have to address those. This is a new thing. I don't know what to expect. I can't promise the hosts that they will play in their own tournaments. Um, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that happens. But without knowing exactly what's going to happen, you know, there, there are no guarantees in this. It's a, it's a brand new thing. Is each regional assistant to the commissioner already in place or are there spots to fill? There are spots to fill. Uh, every year there's some turnover in racks, uh, some due to people not wanting to continue and some due to the people that are in the positions not necessarily um, participating at the level we need to. And with the added responsibility that comes with now choosing which teams go to postseason instead of everyone who gets eligibility being eligible for postseason. Um, I feel like we need to make sure that the racks that are doing the job are further committed than they might have been in the past. So will there be like a preseason top 30 or Absolutely. at what point will we see a list? You'll see a preseason top 30 very, very shortly. I'm still trying to get commitments from racks. I'm also looking at rezoning the country since regions and sections don't mean anything anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's to balance things out. Cause right now I have racks that have two teams and I have racks that have 12 teams. And I'd really like to see that balanced out. So there are five or six teams per rack or seven or eight teams per rack so that nobody's responsibility is significantly greater. The point of the rack is, to be my direct line to teams in an area. So right. They communicate with me and I can communicate with them. So I don't have to make 45 phone calls. I can talk to eight guys or gals and they can talk with their six or eight teams and we can get information flowing up and down. Is that on the board or is that specifically on you to redistribute or restructure who the racks are, are looking at each, each time? Traditionally, uh, I choose the racks, and um, I will be making recommendations on organi organizing the country, but I expect to have the approval of the board before you move forward with anything. Because I think more than ever before, the onus now is on the rack to really be able to be knowledgeable about every team in their area, and if they're not, it's going to be difficult. It will be. And I think, you know, there's going to be growing pains. Um, it's pretty rare that anyone that's voting is familiar with every team they're voting on. You know, when we do a top 20 list at any point in the season, I'm not sure that there's a rack who's seen all 20 teams. Right. We're relying on score sheets and rosters and other people's opinions and arguments when we have these conversations and we say, well, Grand Rapids never beat Chicago at full strength. Then we have to take that into consideration. And, you know, if somebody else has another opinion, they've seen something where this, this line is dominant, but this guy didn't play except for in one tournament and nobody else had a dominant player. So how do you balance those things out? I mean, those are all kinds of conversations right. that we can have. So like, if you're looking at a score sheet, and there's a guest player. Do you just throw it out? Uh, it's not thrown out, but it's not really used in the primary consideration. 
if somebody has something that, you know, because you really can't factor that. That's not really the team, right? The team right. plays better because they play better off that guy or he happens to be a good leader or maybe that person is a cancer to the team. Um, it can really affect how the team performs in general. And you just kind of have to ignore those as much as possible. And not just the team that they're playing for, but the team that they're playing against. Even though those games count for that team and those players, it's it's not like you're playing the team that's listed on the roster. So we try to right. weigh that out and and not factor those in unless we have to because we don't have anything else to go on. So let me okay, ask you. so this year we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we have um, what we believe is going to be early semifinals, if that's what we're calling them, the West and the East, and then an early nationals. How many times a year can we expect to see this vote come out so that we're all you know, on the same page and know what we're up against? Mike, you want to take this one? Absolutely. Uh, there should be rankings coming out on November 1st, December 1st, January 1st, and then the final rankings will be February the 6th. So there's a few tournaments at the beginning of February that we want to make sure we count in the discussions of, of rankings. Those will be included. And then it's time for uh, teams to book flights so that they can get uh, decent rates before uh, prices go up. So... With the caveat that officially postseason doesn't start until the first postseason tournament or February 15th, whichever comes first. Um, if there is something that we see that changes a ranking that with a team that's on the bubble of making it or not making it, we'll have to take it into consideration. Fair enough. So here's a question for you guys. Who is, who's got the greatest advantage here? Is it the high-ranked teams or the low-ranked teams with this new system? Chris? That's difficult. Um, off the top of my head, I would say the higher-ranked teams because in my estimation, <clears throat> there's four teams that are way ahead of others. But the next four, I'm not so sure about yet. Um, I think the most difficult thing is going to be the next 16. After the first eight, those next 16 that make the top 24, it's going to be, there's a lot of competition there in my estimation. So I think the advantage goes to the top and then we're going to find out who, uh, who can, who can make it in on head to head competition. So is this really good for the league? I mean, it, it helps out folks like I, there were complaints about uh, teams that should have been in the top five last year that weren't. But does this really work to the advantage of the entire league? Is this the direction we want to go? No idea. I think we need to see how it plays out. Um, no matter what you do, it's just like it's just like the NCAAs. Okay, when it comes to March – there's going to be 65 teams now or 66 and two have to play to get in or something like that. Always going to be people on the bubble that are unhappy. Somebody's not going to make it in and they're going to be not happy about how the system's working or not working. So I don't see any difference here. I, I think we're going to see how it plays out and somebody's going to be on the outside going, hey, this is not cool. 
And those teams are going to be then compelled to play in tournaments that gets them noticed. If they think they deserve to be in, they're going to be disappointed, but hopefully it gets them playing in places that will give them the opportunity for people on the committee or other teams to say, hey, these guys deserve some respect. Because we listen to what people say. I'm sure it's factored in. I know it factors in for me. Because there are teams that I can say I've seen play one time, but I can't tell you if um, Raleigh or, or Northeast Passage would beat the other team. I, I couldn't tell you. But I, now I have to try and find a way to, other than just the numbers on the score sheet, because we all know numbers on a score sheet don't necessarily tell the tale of the tape as far as, you know, matchups are important. Um, lots of things are important. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think one of the things that this does, though, is it, it says that teams need to get more exposure. They need to play more tournaments. And they need to bring full strength to more tournaments if they feel that they're on the bubble of getting into that top 24. Agreed? Yep. Sure. Well, and teams that want to be in that group of 24 are not going to just play in their area. Right. They're going to have to go and play tougher games to get themselves ready. You know, if we're going to stick in the heartland north and just play the six teams I can drive to, then we're probably not going to qualify, you know, as far as we're not going to be good enough to make it first off. And secondly, nobody's going to see us. So we're not going to have that opportunity anyway. So, you know, people have to really think about what they want to do throughout the season. Do they want to be a team that competes to go to nationals or do they just want to have fun and play in a rec league, which is totally acceptable. The league is built that way so that everybody has the opportunity to play. There's room for everybody at the table. As Gumby always said, it really is. So you guys, you know, are, the other thing too is they got to spend money. They got to spend some money or find a way to get to the places that they are going to get diverse competition and and get some more exposure. Absolutely. But is this good for the league? The question um, to me, I'm not a big fan of having a committee or a commissioner picking who gets to make it to postseason. I think you played out. So I'll be interested to see how this works out. You know, I know that we're trying to address um, a specific situation where in the last season, there's a team that and I justify, justifiably so felt they deserved and should be in, at nationals or at least uh, and possibly, you know, in the top eight. Well, We'll never know because they didn't have that opportunity. So this is our our chance to try something different. Um, if it doesn't work out or if there are some tweaks we need to make, obviously we will do those. But the hard part about doing that is that the AGM is until nationals. And if we're going to make changes, we probably won't have the opportunity or the insight to do so this year. So it'll be, if we don't like what we have, we're stuck with it for another year. <laughs> until we can vote again. Now, there are probably provisions in the Constitution that allow for uh, alternative ways to make changes like that, but uh, never been exercised. You know, I, it'll be interesting to see if that's the case. I, it might work out great. I don't know. 
All right, talking about other things that are trying out, uh, we're trying out new things this year. Let's talk about the Oscar Mike Militia. They have a new team. Uh, what happened was that uh, AGM, the uh, membership, decided to give these guys a shot. So the 150-mile uh, residency rule does not apply to military uh, veterans that are playing in the league. So there's going to be folks coming from across the country playing for one team based out of Rockford, Illinois. How do you guys feel about this? How do you guys feel about the 150-mile rule being eliminated for these guys? Is it fair to the rest of the league? Is it fair to the teams they left? How about you uh, start off, Chris? What do you think? Well, first of all, I was at the AGM and was voting, and I remember that the folks presenting this uh, proposal um, were sitting right next to me. And frankly, before they started, I didn't think it had a hope of passing. I really didn't. And it was a very, very solid presentation. Um, I think that the 150-mile rule is what it is. And um, I initially was thinking, you know, why are they going to not have to adhere to that and after listening to the proposal i thought you know what this is this is something to really think about and then when the vote came in um after the presentation i was i was pretty shocked that it was so slanted towards uh, the yes vote on it and um you know i i feel kind of bad for the teams that are going to be left without those players because uh, somebody asked even at, at that point, well, can they play for both? Can they play for their club team and for Oscar Mike? And, of course, the answer was no. And um, I, I really well, feel like – roster with two teams. They could play with them. Well, that's what I mean, roster. Right. So then, um, to be honest with you, I initially would have voted no. But after the presentation, and I think one of the things that changed the direction was with – um, Nick is the gentleman's name. Is that correct? Uh, Rick. Rick. Okay. So Rick said that, you know, we're going to host nationals two years and we're infusing some funding into the U.S. Curie. And a question was asked how much money. And we started talking more specifically. People's heads started nodding. And then it was voted yes. And that was my take on it. Um, I'm anxious to see how it all works. I'm grateful that Chicago area and Oscar Mike is going to step up and do nationals for two years and I'm excited to see how it works but um, I do feel bad for the teams that are losing players and I'm, I'm hopeful that that this thing works out for everybody yeah it's interesting to me you know obviously as commissioner it it adds a bit of a challenge for me because uh, we did some things to strengthen the residence rules and we also eliminated the residence rules for a specific group of players. Um, and I'm not a fan of enforcing the rules differently on different people. Um, we should all be held to the same standards. So if we're going to um, allow protests of people and, and keep people from playing in certain places and make people jump through hoops to do so, then in my mind, we should make everyone do it. Again, this is a one-year experiment, 
I'd be interested to see how it plays out. But uh, I, I don't know. You know, one of the things that I remember talking about was that everyone would be welcome to be on the roster with Oscar Mike. But more recently, we they had a uh, summer thing uh, just a couple weeks ago. And they were talking about their tryout and the 12 people that they're going to select to be on their roster, which feels to me like a departure from what I was told when I was explained how this was going to work and that uh, anybody would be welcome to participate and roster on the team. So, and I don't know if that, if maybe I misunderstood the way it was characterized recently or if I misunderstood the way it was characterized originally, but that's what I took from it. What does that mean exactly, Dave? Who's selecting this team? The, uh, the Oscar Mike authority. Okay. I, I, so I don't is know it just the coach or they... this team or somebody else is coaching this team. Um, <laughs> but I, I got the impression from what uh, conversations that I had that it was going to be a fairly exclusive roster. <clears throat> so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I don't know that uh, this is a superstar team by any means, but they could be a, a serious D2 contender. Well, I can tell you this much. Both Mike and I got a chance to work with several of them, um, both in Argentina and in Amsterdam. And then Mike, of course, coached one of uh, their star players, Chris Hall, in Chicago. And... Um, there's some talent. There's certainly some skillful talent there Absolutely. to work with. And, um, you know, and I, I think they'll be right in the mix there for, for you know, the tournament they're hosting, Nationals. And, and they're good guys. They're great guys. And so with all that said, um, I'm excited to see how it works out. And I, I don't have a bias one way or the other. I did think, you know, circumventing the 150-mile rule, yeah, uh, but what the heck? It was voted in, so let's let's see what happens. Yeah, and I agree. It, these are the way the rules are set. It's not my job to make the rules. Um, I obviously have some influence, but when it comes right down to it, my job is more about enforcing them. So those are the rules that we have, and that's what we want to do. Um, and I, I'm with you. I think there are a lot of great guys on this team. Um, the program itself is amazing. Uh, and to watch at that event that we went to where they um, had a tournament, uh, we went to the compound and saw all the opportunities that these guys have due to the Oscar Mike program, which is amazing. And then to have the uh, the Orange County Choppers guys there was, uh, was pretty cool, too. So it sounds like they're doing a good job of fundraising and awareness and uh, just giving guys opportunities. Here's another thing that I think is important. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that, um, I think Oscar Mike is also going to help the USPRA be better exposed to, to media. And because we've got uh, veterans involved and I think it, it brings a more layman interest into our sport and um, I'm excited about that, and, I, and I'm, hoping, I'm hoping all of that happens. So we'll see. 
I think that me too. And and Mike, you you could say we when we watched them videoing <clears throat> uh, the game with the OCC guys, you know that's that's going to bring some more exposure to the sport. Absolutely. And hopefully bring some more fans to the sport and maybe even right. bring some revenue to the sport. Um, you know, none of those things is guaranteed, but they're doing all the right things. Absolutely. I, I think that really if, if we're talking about getting mainstream exposure of our sport, that, you know, something like this where folks are getting on TV and, and frequently, it's, it's a big deal. And I think the U.S. QRA has to remember that it's got – Half half of the teams in the league have military veterans on their teams, and Which that awesome. it's it's time we start talking about that. It's time that we, you know, take a, a strength of the league and and show the rest of the world that you know we're a really good thing, and that it's it's not just this backwater sport, uh, but it's it's a bunch of really good folks that are charismatic that they've got stories that matter and that it's time for people to get on the bandwagon and it's time to watch this sport. You know, if there's a, any teams out there that don't have veterans on their roster, they're not looking hard enough. No matter where you live, there are disabled veterans who qualify to play and probably would love to play. Yeah. And I, I think that makes a difference. I think that a lot of organizations, if you're talking about from a funding standpoint, are in love with funding veterans and yep. we're supporting veterans within the league. So let's start talking about that. Well, you know, the other thing too is, and I don't want to get into politics here, but in a country that's very divided right now, politically, this kind of thing brings the country together when they see veterans doing something cool like this and um, media looks for those stories and we could use this and put it out there. And um, I think it's great for everybody. Absolutely. So things that bring people together. Uh, I think we all can agree on this next topic, but let's talk up. about it anyway. Contact before the whistle. <laughs> Two years ago, we got rid of the rule that uh, people could get called for contact before the whistle. What has that meant for our sport? What does it mean for the high pointers, low pointers? What has it done to the pace of the game? So, Dave, start us off. What do you think it's done for the sport? Well, it's a, it's a double-edged sword for me. It's a pain in my ass. But it also gives me an opportunity to do things that I wouldn't normally get to do. So I, I think overall, I feel it's a positive thing. Uh, but there are times where I wish it wasn't true. Chris, what do you think? Well, coming from a low pointers point of view, as well as a coaching point of view, um, I wish it happened five years ago, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, yeah, I mean, as long as I've had a long picker in the front of my chair, I've been looking to hook somebody before the whistle came. And as a coach now, I'm directing guys to be thinking ahead and find the guy in transition Keep him from getting his sweet spot, coming down and finding the spot where he wants to be to receive the ball. And if you got two low point chairs on the court, it's even better because sometimes you can isolate a three or a three five, and then they have to throw the ball into somebody else that's going to be less or more likely, perhaps, to 
make a turnover. It definitely um, makes transition more important for the high pointers and the low pointers. Absolutely. And it makes everybody have to be on their game. They can't be taking a breather while the ref is trying to get the ball and get, you know, it centered and, and give it to the inbounder. You got to be thinking all the time, 100% of the time, high pointers, low pointers, everybody. And if you're not, somebody else is going to outthink you and be in that spot. And so I think it's good for the game. Um, there's times when I hate it, of course, but. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's because my guy wasn't doing what he was supposed to do at that moment. Or when I'm knocking you into a place you don't want to be or, you know, it's it's unfortunate that the topics that we're talking about, we generally agree on. We need some really good point and counterpoint topics for the next (laughs) podcast. Something that we could disagree and and battle over. Because I can't imagine Mike thinks this is a bad thing either. It forces his guys to to work their butts off between the whistles too. I freaking love it. I mean, I've seen the pace of our game increase greatly. Right. Uh, a lot of that could, could be due to uh, uh, a lot of help from uh, Chris Hull as he came up to our team this season. But I think overall it, like what you said, Chris, it, it stops players from lollygagging between plays. The no, game is you can't always take on. You can't take time off, right? Nope. You know, I've been trying to teach this and play this way for a number of years, always thinking about where you're going to be next, not in the moment. Everybody can do that in the moment for a while until you're tired, probably. But where are you next? Where are you after what's happening? And if you're not thinking about that now, you're going to get hooked and you're going to be at half court sitting there going, damn, I guess I have to raise my hand and call inbounder now. Anticipation is something that all new players have to learn. You know, I'm constantly telling these new guys, if you're going to where the guy is, by the time you get there, he's gone. You have to think about where is he going to go based on what I'm doing? Where is he going to be next? That's where I need to go. Right. And the same thing is true in transition, whether you're moving or you're not moving. You know what it's like? Here's an analogy. I was just thinking about this. So football season has just started. You're not going to get... trip on my Lions, are you? <laughs> no. Uh, no, not They're yet. really bad. Okay. Forget about the Lions. Look, all of our teams lost last week. No, actually, nope. Mike's team nope. tied. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's team got a tie. That's because the Steelers turned the ball over six times. That's a and we okay, didn't take so, advantage. So football just started. And when the whistle blows, those guys can take some time off. So we don't get time off now at all, if you think about it. I mean, even when the whistle blows, you better be getting in position because there's no huddle to go to and relax. you got to continue to be working. Well, that was true before, right? You, you still won yes the game no. between the whistles before. Yes and no. If you were fast enough, you could get there anyway because they couldn't contact you. Now they can. All right, now that we're we're all in agreement, we we like that they got rid of that rule. We're going to be uh, bringing up our special guest in a little bit here. We've got Joe Delagrave from Team USA coming up, so we'll take a second and uh, introduce our guest. And uh, thank you both for your uh, your discussion on all these uh, topics today. Insert commercial here, right? <laughs> okay, greetings, everyone. We are launching our inaugural podcast. And we have a special guest today, Joe Delagrave, 
from Team USA, 10-time member in 12 years of play, three-time world champion. Is that correct, Joe? World championship team, yep. Three-time world championship team, yeah. And how many years have you been the captain of the team, Joe? Uh, five out of those 10 years. That's amazing. Awesome. awesome. So what's the most important thing to you about being on the team? Is it being a captain? Yeah, I love leadership. Um, so that's that's probably my biggest like where my where my heart is and where I put the, the effort in. And um, you know, through the years, it was probably like how much can I play. And now it's more like how much can I help the team grow and um, whether that's with me on the court or not. And so that's probably most important. Um, and then obviously, you know, putting out the product and being the best we can be and winning gold is the ultimate uh, the ultimate goal, but. But I think winning gold and doing it the right way is, is important as well. Have there been co-captains as well alongside you? Yeah, I've um, had the honor to be alongside Chuck Melton the last couple of years, uh, which was is great. He's kind of um, the catch-up to my mustard. I, I, I talk a little bit more, but he's behind the scenes kind of, you know, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that, or using his his dad voice uh, when he needs to as well. But um but yeah, that's been great. And I've, I've captained alongside of um, Andy Cohn and Jason Rieger as well. Cool. And how are those captains selected? Uh, our, the, so peer selected. So we, we select them through a, a voting process that actually the entire staff and, and uh, players vote on who captain would be. Is that like a silent vote or everybody just raises their hand? It's a silent vote. Trying to do it as uh, non biased as possible or you know one person raises and be like oh i better raise my hand for that but yeah so it's, it's just writing down a piece of paper and, and there you go so joe welcome back from uh worlds want to congratulate you on coming away with bronze i know that there were some pretty lofty goals uh for worlds this time around but i want to ask you what your positive takeaways were from this tournament yeah, we. I mean, we all know that you, when you, you know, when you put a USA team out there, the the goal is to win. And when you don't, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny and there's a lot of tough feelings and everything like that. Um, and so, you know, winning the third place game, and unfortunately, it's my third time playing in that third place game at a major competition, um, and it's the hardest game to play. I, I you know, I we. Anyone that's been on the sport knows that those crossovers are the hardest to play. Um, but when you you know you get your heart completely ripped out of your chest and then turn around and literally twelve um, to twenty four hours later you're you're playing again and you're playing for something. You know you know you don't want to go home a fourth. Um, well, USA that, is also the only team that's medaled in every world championship. Yeah, so it's not something that you have to accomplish. You guys want to keep that up, right? Whether yeah, you come no, exactly. away with gold or silver or bronze. Right, exactly. I mean, for, for the longest time now, we, we've kind of had taken on that bridesmaid's role and really want to w win. But um, but what's crazy right now is the world is so good. And, you know, you saw it with Australia, Japan, Sweden almost upset Japan. Um, right. GB is right there all the time. And and we play a lot more against each other now, too. You see them in the USQRA, and then you see them on the rugby circuit, which, you know, you used to only play maybe five games a year, USA, and now it's 20. 
or more. And so uh, there's a lot more strategy. We, we know everyone, they know us. And so it's, it's, it, it used to be that the U S went out and kicked everyone's butt and, and there you have it. But I think it's, uh, the world is very, very good at rugby. I mean, you look at Columbia coming to worlds, their first world championships and pulling off a win and, um, Brazil still in the running. Yeah. Pulled off two wins, Columbia. And I mean, they, they're a good team. How do you um, feel about the new 12 team format? So it's actually been 12 since at least 2010. Uh, every, every world championship I've been in in 2010, 14 and 18 has been 12 teams. Yeah. For a minute there, they're going to try to go to 16. Um, and then, and then had it and passed it and then, um, rescinded it because I think it was the quality of teams as well as the logistics of the tournament, I don't think would have worked, but, um, but I mean, this, this world championships top to bottom was, was pretty cool to see. I mean, France is right there. Like I said, Colombia, Poland has their whole smorgasbord of talent on their team. And uh, a lot of guys that could push their chairs fast and, you know, Ireland coming over. And so it was, I mean, I, I don't know if any team didn't win a game. I had Ireland back, lost Boylan in the first amazing. crossover. Okay. They didn't win a game. Yep, yep. Really okay, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they got hurt with, with, with him and then Alan Lynch not being able to play. Although those was, other guys really did step up. I mean, they were they battled for those last two games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess to answer your question, I mean, Worlds was great. Um it's always something that you cherish as I'm getting towards the end of my career and, you know, pushing towards Tokyo. I, I think it's, it's, it, it's, it, sometimes it's just a really simple game and the game against Japan hats off to them. They played extremely well. They didn't turn the ball over and we did. And, and I told the guys after the game, it's pretty simple. We don't take care of the ball and uh, right. we don't, and we don't have good clock management. We're probably not going to win. And unfortunately, hey Joe, I have a question. Go ahead. So yeah. after you guys, um, lost in the crossover. What was, was there a team meeting immediately and what was the tone? And as a captain, how did you deal? I talked to the team right after the game and said a lot of things that were fresh. I, I can't even remember everything I said, but I think the biggest thing is that when it comes to winning and losing, we like to, we like to let the scoreboard define who we are as a team, as a person, as an athlete. And sometimes Sometimes you're someone has to win and lose, and right. you know we lost. But at the same time, I thought every single other game we played there, we were dominant. We played extremely well. Um, you know, we had some new guys in the bench that it was a good experience for them um, and whatnot. But after the game, it's more like don't let this define who you are as an athlete, individually, and as a teammate. Um, but at the, but and then on the other flip side of that there you know for me it's always looking at how i can get better and how i can help the team and and so i think you would you'd be doing yourself a disservice to yourself and the team if you didn't try to get better at some way or, or break down what went wrong but i I, th I think sometimes it's it's just the the part that sucks sometimes is that yeah the game is pretty simple at times clock management and and don't turn the ball over, you know, play that tennis match where you keep hitting the ball over the net and let them screw up. And, um, you know, unfortunately that, that didn't happen. And that as a captain, I think it's, it's tough, man. I mean, 
I don't know if you saw it, Dave. You're, and it's you know the first person I looked at was my wife, and it's that's tough to look her in the eyes. And you, I mean, it chokes me up a little bit right now. You just it's you know, or your teammates, and it's like you came here for a specific goal, and that's no longer achievable, and it sucks. Um, well, yeah, and, I haven't been there. You know, it was it was really uncharacteristic of a USA team to see that many errors, especially unforced errors, and I think that. You covered great as far as when you got to the GB game. GB had run with Australia. I mean, it was yeah. a one-point game. So I think people expected it to be a lot closer. And I, uh, at least it felt from the outside like you kind of took out your feelings about the Japan game on Great Britain. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a great bounce-back game. And you get to play it. And then, you know, you go out there and and do your job but and it's i mean for that game it's pretty simple we we played good cock management and we we didn't turn the ball over and, and that's kind of you the rest some consolation have, in the fact that the only team you lost to ended up winning the championship i think it ends up making you feel a little bit better but at the same time like sweden could have won the championship and we didn't like it's he still didn't win right that's it's, right um but it I mean, they got the job done. They beat all the best teams. I mean, they didn't they didn't play GB, but um, otherwise, I mean, they went through the top two teams there. So it's not it's not like you can say, oh man, they got lucky, or you know, I mean, they battled in that Australia game. Um, they they pulled out a tough one again. I thought Sweden was kind of the turning point of their of their tournament, and they battled Sweden. Sweden was up to the entire game, and they figured out a way to win, and they were like, oh, crap, this isn't good. And, of course, obviously they lost to Australia um, before they played us. But um, So what do you think you know, the I difference thought, was thought, there? How do you think thought, they came back I, from losing or losing double digits and then they come back and win the, the championship? How did they do that? Right. I mean, number one, sometimes that's the perfect place to lose if there's a place to lose because it's not during a crossover. Um but they, uh, you look back at that game, and they were uncharacteristic in the game against Australia. Just a lot of silly turnovers. Nothing necessarily Australia was doing that was any different than they'd seen. But just sometimes that snowball happens fast, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, 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 what happened? And um, you know, similar, similar to us. And but it's hey, Joe, did you watch the finals? You watched the finals. I, I did, yeah. Okay. So I was messaging with uh, Brad Duberly the night before, and he let me know that when, uh, first of all, they had had 13 unforced errors, he said, in the whole tournament leading up to the finals. In the finals, they had 14. And it just so happens that Japan had 13, and they lost by one. And afterwards, he said, hey, what are you going to say? They, they just outplayed us. And... The bottom line there also, I'm curious, was Matt Lewis missed by them, the depth? Because he, did, he didn't really reply to that, but he said, we just ran out of steam. We played Riley and Chris yeah. way too much. I mean, you could probably say the same for us and Chuck, if I'm being completely honest. And, you know, it's tough when you're, when you're, um, when you're high pointer. You know, your star high pointer has to play every a lot of minutes right. that might not necessarily have to play if you've got a backup like Matt Lewis. And, um, you know, I, I, if, last year we played them a couple times where Matt was on the court instead of Riley. And the stuff he was able to do on the court was pretty incredible. 
Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if we had someone like a Corey or an Anthony, um, you know, or, or, or an Alex, and it's just some more guys, some more lines that we probably didn't have to get guys off the court that we desperately needed to get off the court. And I thought the same was for, with Australia. Um, but at the same, I mean, they still, I mean, they had a phenomenal comeback. I mean, crazy, right? Like, Japan turns the ball over seven straight times or whatever it is. Australia's up to, and then they cough it. Right. So I don't know if it was, I, I, if they were being honest, probably not the, the most well-played game on either side, but that you're going to have some of those and it's, it's you're winning. If, if it's ugly, who cares? But, um, but yeah, to answer your question, I think, I think they did ma- miss Matt Lewis. Um, Daisuke is an amazing player, but I thought, the MVP for them was Shin and being and Shin being able to get both those high pointers off the court was huge for I them. I think we all agree with that too. It, he really stepped up and made it. So those, no matter what you say about what kind of shape, no, no matter what kind of shape you're in at the end of the game, if you play every minute, you get tired and giving those guys the opportunity to get off the court and get their head back about them and, you know, let go of plays that might've not gone their way. I think it makes a huge difference. Depth is something that, yeah, not really something we think about in rugby, especially when you watch uh, bats stay on the court all day long, like in the old it's, day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the sport's changing. It's kind of fun to see, especially on that elite level where you need a bench to compete. And it's it's you know you look at you look at it from the NBA playoff standpoint, and LeBron playing hmm. forty eight minutes and forty eight minutes and forty eight minutes and forty eight minutes while you know Gold State or whoever is able to get guys off the court. It's 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 a huge sour relief when you know when Kevin Durant knows that he doesn't have to show up every night and they can still win. That's pretty. That's pretty big, right? And I know Chris Cook loves this right now, but sorry. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but but I think Breaking I think what I'm heart. saying is you know Dice Gate doesn't have as much pressure because he knows that he can get off the court for three minutes, grab some cliff shots, grab a drink, and watch the game a little bit, and it's valuable. I mean, I get to do it with some of the lines that I'm not in and it's valuable to sit and watch for a second and go, Oh, that's what, the, Oh, okay. All right. So they're running, you know, um, they're pushing us to the sideline. Chuck just cut back and we can pick her all this. We'll be fine. But when you're playing the game, it's harder to see. And I think, you know, for, for dice K to be able to get off the court for a couple of times, a game is, and throughout a tournament, especially worlds, wherever worlds is a grind. It's a different grind than any other tournament we play in. That's a great perspective. I totally agree with you. When you have that depth and you can trust them and you can come off the court and get just a, a little respite, it's it's huge. It creates a margin. So curious, where do we go from here, Team USA? What's going on? Well, I think it's it's um, you know not not freaking out, and but at the same time, everyone holding everyone accountable for myself and um, players and staff, and I think whoever would be holding holding personal responsibility, personal accountability, um, you know, and then, and then also seeing where we can add talent and add depth and, you know, other guys seeing if they can step up and, and play a bigger role than they did at this world's. And, um, you know, I always tell guys where, you know, in 2010, it was called Joe time and I got, you know, maybe 50 seconds a game or I was in last goal line or, you know, we're blowing teams out and I got to play and you take that and you eat it up and you, put it in, you know, you have a couple good confident uh, plays and you put it in your pocket and go, okay, I can do this. And, you know, for some guys, I think it's tough to 
to accept that role when they want something else. Um, but those roles are so valuable. I mean, you look at you look at Shin, and it's he's not playing an entire game, but his role is so important to that team. And um, you know, Bomber probably would have been the same thing. And there's a couple of guys with GB that get on the court a little bit, and it's and it's like, all right, I'm gonna come in and do my job for two three minutes, and if that's all I get to play, that's all I get to play. So, um, yeah, like I, 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 our team was great. You know, if if anything, maybe. Um, having a couple more lines that can get Aoki off the court would be awesome. And I think we've got that in house and, and also, you know, developing some USA players as well. That's, that's definitely a passion of mine. And we can talk about that later in the podcast, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of help with that and, um, see what, see what talents out there. Let's, uh, appreciate you talking about all that. I know that, uh, you're coming off worlds and it's, it's a whole lot weighing on your mind and you've, you've given us a good glimpse as to what was going on behind the scenes and uh, a little more perspective as to what was going on on the court. Um, but let's switch over to domestic stuff. Uh, I know that there's been some changes in your team locally and uh, how that's going to uh, change the landscape for the USQRA this season. We, uh, we talked about Chuck Aoki a little bit. Uh, what do you think about his transition to Denver? What does that mean for the mountain? What does that mean for the heartland? What are your feelings on it? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, you got a three dog race. I don't know if I'm leaving anyone out, but you got Denver, Tucson, Phoenix. I'm sure we'll reload. Um, I don't know if I'm missing anyone. You got Texas. Can't leave Texas out. You got yeah. Texas. Um, so, and then, and then obviously Port Houston. Um, but I mean, they've got they've, Rob Deller's over there now. So like they're, you know, they're bolstering up as well. Um, but I think with, with that, w- with the mountain, I mean, you look at Chuck and they've got, they've got to gel a little bit with their players and find out what their best lineups are. They've got a lot of different, um, interchangeable parts. So it'll be fun to see what Rieger does with those guys. And, but Chuck's going there for his PhD. So who knows, uh, how, how much, much he's going to be concentrating on, on Denver Harlequin rugby. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, it's probably going to help them that Scaturro was on the team that you took to Australia. So they got a little time together. Yeah. Yeah. He's key to that team. He really is. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, uh, but then, I, I mean, you know, when someone wins the championship, in the fashion that U of A did, I thought last year probably uh, the Minnesota team we probably gave them their best run, and I mean it was it was brutal. It was old school rugby and, and picking and rolling a lot, and it was a lot of fun. But at the same time, it was like it was tough being a two man out there against Daisuke, Josh, and then you've got you got Chad and Lee out there chasing. You. I mean, it's just it's yeah, it's tiring to say the least. Um, but they're yes, yeah, so they're going to be good, and they've they're. They're, um, you know, they got CJ down there. They've got um, Chris Fleece is up and coming. There's, they've got a little bit of a bench too. Paco has a year under his belt with the USA program. Um, and then Phoenix, we'll see who who Scott brings in. He's always he's always bringing someone in, and they're always, you know, he'll coach them up well, as we all know. And so, and then Texas. I mean, they're they, um, I'm sure are going to have. I don't know if their transfer or their uh, international players has made it been made official yet, but Dave, I'm sure, you know, but, uh, I, mean, Dave, I don't think we know at this point, do we? Okay. Well, yeah. Cliff. I don't know. Go ahead. So tell us. 
No, no thanks. <laughs> but Gumby, yeah, Gumby will have his boys ready. Um, um, he's got to do something when this Longhorn sucks so bad at football. But ah, just kidding, Gumby. <laughs> Um, but no, he'll he'll have the guys rock and rolling too. And what I about think, the I mean, Heartland, Joe? Um, I would say, as somebody who plays in that Heartland, you know, um, I think Minnesota is still the team to beat. Well, yeah, so we're we've got our two five two two one five lineup. Um, Isn't that what you ran at sectionals last year? We ran that at sectionals and won. Everyone? Yep, and yes. we ran it. We ran it in Tampa last year. Um, Ran into Tampa last year and got beat by all the top D1 teams by about 10. But it was good learning for for Kyle Peterson and Eddie uh, Brosnan and, and Ryan. And so it'll be more of that this year. And I think I'll do a couple at-large tournaments as well, um, helping out people that want to get better and play. And, and I did that in Phoenix last year, and it was actually a lot of fun um, with James Saw and Alex. Um, Garrick played, which was fun. And so we ended up playing, you know, high level rugby, but it was kind of no strings attached and just trying to get better from different areas of the game. And um, that that's kind of where I'm at this year. And hopefully go to some Heartland tournaments and, um, you know, pour pour into the Heartland and get guys better. There's a lot of talent in the Heartland. And, um, you know, it was fun. watching. It is. It is. It was fun watching sectionals last year. And you had uh, Detroit and. And well, we Chicago and last year. You, you well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Detroit, I'm Chicago, trying to get back in Ohio, yeah, KC. You know those guys battle it out, and there's and it's great. It was fun they to watch. Come a long way. It's fun to watch. So, um, hey Joe, while you're talking about that, uh, how do you feel about the new postseason? What do you think about the uh, the new format? I think I think it's good to change. Um, we'll see how it plays out this year. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that like the league's not afraid to change things. Um, I think it's important, even if we even if the league as a collective is like, "Whoa, this this is not working out." We weren't afraid to try it, which I think happens sometimes, and and so that's good. Good interaction, and and, and I mean from the AGM. Um, you know, a lot of it, a lot of people put in stuff. A lot of people. There's a lot of talk and communication out there, which was great. Um, so I think, you know, as I, maybe three, four years ago, I'd be like, oh man, like there's nothing in the pipelines. We need to get. And I, there's a lot of good young teams, a lot of good um, young players out there, and people that want to be a part of the league. And so I think we're healthy um, from maybe even two, three, four years ago, but. Yeah, it, we'll see how the format works logistically, especially with nationals being in March. But um, I'm excited to get to drive to them. That's kind of nice. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So tell us more about what's going on with you, man. What is your what is your future in rugby hold? I hear you talking a lot about developing players, um, trying out new things. What's what's your story? What are you going to do, man? Wait, before you answer that, you were hinting at 2020. Are you talking retirement already? Oh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's we've got three small kids at home, and it's fun to watch their sports now. And so it's it's uh, and it's tough to, you know, the last couple of years have been a grind. And, and I love the grind. I love being able to, you know, get up. And, and everyone loves to say that they're a member of Team USA and, and a 
uh, wheelchair rugby player and everything. But and so, but the grind is has always been fun for me and to challenge myself and get better and um, and hopefully you know be successful on the team and and help the team. But I think um, we'll see what happens after 2020. There's I've been fortunate enough, blessed enough to be on a team where like there's only one thing to put on the mantle and everything else I've, I've been able to accomplish, obviously not just I, but the team and, and teammates and, and coaches throughout the years. But there, yeah, it's kind of like that, you know, you're playing that video game and you only have one level to win and it just so happens that it's two years away. But so I, I think this year for me is, is pouring into guys developing, um, uh, who knows with the R word and what that, if, what, what will happen there. But I definitely notice that I have a passion for, for coaching, a passion for developing, a passion for seeing guys succeed. And, and especially when they show the, the desire to put in the work, because I think there's a lot of people that want to be on team USA and there's not a lot of people that want to work to be on team USA or don't, or, or don't have the time or don't have, you know, it could be a lot of different things, but for whatever reason, don't, choose to make that um to make that effort and so um for me and what's next um right now i'm 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 gearing up for for 2020 as an athlete but also um getting into more and more motivational speaking um quote-unquote inspirational speaking you know that big buzzword that all of us the i love. love yeah yeah um like, it doesn't have to be a dirty word why are you, well, it, do, it doesn't, it doesn't, but it's just, you know, I don't want to be anyone's inspirational porn. That's all. But it's <laughs> well said. Uh, um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I'm in and I'm learning that in order to do well at that business and kind of brand yourself, it's, it's also a grind in it, but it's just a different kind of grind. And so I'm excited for that. Um, that's kind of what's next with me and otherwise just, just being a dad and husband and uh, working a little bit here and there. So, yeah. Joe, you have been absolutely phenomenal. It's been great to have you. It's been so great to hear what you have to say about everything. Um, whether it's international or domestic, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And, uh, we're really excited to see what you do this season with USQRA. And we're definitely excited to see, uh, what happens as you uh, prepare for Tokyo in 2020? Stoked to see what our what our team produces, but uh, got eyes on you and how you're going to lead our team to uh, to some big things. So we really appreciate you taking the time with us, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah good luck it. this season. Thanks again for listening to our first Behind the Axle podcast. We've had a ton of fun making it. Please let us know what you think. Please personal message us on Facebook or email me at mklinowski, K-L-O-N-O-W-S-K-I, at hotmail.com with feedback, or let us know what topics you'd like to hear covered. Thanks again. We look forward to having you guys listen to our next podcast.